A few weeks ago, Dr. Trey Orndorff taught us that politics are about who gets what, when, and how. And that's exactly why I care about politics, because I care about my neighbor. I care about my Collin County neighbor. I care about my Texas neighbors. I care about my neighbors in the United States and my neighbors throughout the world. And I think that all of us should, because we care about our own ability to live securely in the world, we should care about our neighbor's ability to live securely in the world. After all, isn't that what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves? We want the same thing for everyone that we naturally want for ourselves. But living securely in the world is deeply impacted by political structures and public policies. So it can be incredibly complicated and messy to try to sort out what really is in the best interest of everyone. There will always be competing interests and differing opinions and deeply held beliefs. So when we engage in politics, we should do so prayerfully and thoughtfully and lovingly. My interview tonight is with Tennessee State Representative John DeBerry, and I know that you will be as blessed by this conversation as I was. Well, Brother DeBerry, I appreciate so very much you making time for this conversation. I appreciate you being here. And before we get started, or as we get started, my first question is, I would just love to hear just a little bit about your story and especially how you, how you began a life in politics and especially how your faith uh, brought you and played a part in that, uh, in that decision to, to have a career in politics. Well, I'm, I guess it's probably uh, a misnomer with me to say, I know a lot of folks say, I, because of my length of time in office, folks have called me a, a career politician, but I'm a career minister. And this happened to be an extension of what I have always done as a minister uh, in the church, even back to my father. My father um, in the 60s was very much involved with the civil rights movement. He was the chairman of the Crockett County NAACP, which he established at that time when we moved from Memphis to Crockett County, Tennessee. And my dad established the NAACP and brought in the Farmers Home Administration, brought a lot of, uh, excuse me, a lot of um, different uh, programs uh, to that little small city because we were from Memphis. And uh, so I watched my dad deal with the various issues of the city, dealing with politicians, dealing with the sheriff department, dealing with uh, blacks and whites, uh, dealing with the church. And so we were always involved in the various civic uh, issues, civic problems, getting a baseball team started. He brought in the Boy Scouts. I became an Eagle Scout uh, under my father. So when uh, I was um, uh, doing counseling uh, at several places, one of whom, which was Bethany Homes here in Memphis, and dealing with young girls who had had children by older men, my question was, why weren't some of the laws being enforced to protect these children. And the more I inquired, the more I got involved uh, in, in why certain legislation had not been done, why certain laws had not been uh, uh, focused on and people hadn't been prosecuted. And eventually uh, I was asked to run for this office. And because of my involvement uh, in the past with my father, my involvement with civic organizations 
in Memphis. It was a natural offshoot for me as a minister uh, to continue my work in Nashville. Well, I appreciate all that, that you do in the church and in the community, and uh, I am incredibly thankful to, to have this time to visit with you. I'm sure that there has been throughout your career and throughout your work in the community and everything that you've done, you've, you've had those moments where you've, you've been fighting for the things that you believe in and striving to, to make those things happen, and then also having to work with people who disagree with you. And so right. if you would speak to that, how have you striven to, to accomplish the things that you believe in while still maintaining working relationships or, or trying to with the people that disagree and, th and see things differently? Well, you know, I'm known in Nashville as a consensus maker. I work on both sides of the aisle. I believe in building bridges. I believe that if we talk long enough and we use common sense, maturity, and mutual respect, we can usually find a compromise when you're talking about public policy. We're not talking about the Bible. We're not talking about the scriptures, but public policy. Public policy is made by the public and you have to have public input, which is why you have representatives. So what I do is I involve everybody. If I have an issue that I believe in, uh, I fight for it vehemently, but I try to get people on board for it. Also, I tell folk all the time when they ask me about running for office, and that is, you need to know who you are uh, before you sign the petition to run. And you most certainly need to know who you are and whose you are before you raise your right hand to take the oath of office. Because if you don't have an identity, especially if you are a Christian, if your identity, your principles, your moral standards, your ethical uh, standards, those things that you call virtuous, if they're not in place, uh, before you take the oath of office, there are plenty of people around there who will uh, strive and are extremely influential uh, to make you compromise uh, those principles. And so one of the things that everybody knows about me in Nashville is there are certain things that I'm not going to compromise. There are certain things I'm not going to change. Certain things I am absolutely not going to vote for. People will send me money for my election knowing that I'm not going to vote for their issue because they know that I, they know who I am, they know I'm gonna fight for fairness, but at the same time, I'm not gonna compromise those things that I believe in. That's fantastic. And, and I think that already speaks to, to my last question, and that would just be what advice or encouragement would you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are passionate about things and want to make a difference, but at the same time, also want to be peacemakers and maintain unity and peace, so, so how do we do that? How do we, how do we be passionate about things that are important uh, and try to make a difference, but at the same time work to maintain unity and peace? Well, I think that first of all, as a Christian, I've got to know what my marching orders are. We, you and I both preach. Uh, Brother Aaron Cosard is here in the office with me. He preaches it. I listen to my daddy preach it all the time. The fact of the matter is, this is not our home. We are deployed here, if I might be able to use military terms. We're deployed here for a certain time. My citizenship is in heaven. Once that's settled in my mind, that I'm just passing through, that I'm not laying up treasures on this earth, then I am striving to one day go home. That's gonna keep me focused. That's gonna keep me on track. That's gonna keep me in the narrow way. 
So when I deal with people uh, in Nashville, if I deal with them in Washington, uh, from, from dealing with one of my colleagues to dealing with the President of the United States, they know where I stand on the issue. So we'll go back to what the Apostle Paul said, what are our marching orders? Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. People are not our enemy, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So when I understand God didn't send me out to beat people across the head, to judge them, to send them uh, to condemnation, but to save them. That's what he sent us to do. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So whether I'm in Memphis, whether I'm in the pulpit, whether I'm standing on the floor of the house, whether I'm in a, a meeting with someone I'm trying to convert, my job is to lift up Christ, to let my light shine that they may see his glory and may see the fact that he is our savior. And when we as Christians lose sight of that, we lose sight of our mission. We lose sight of our message. We lose sight of the biblical methodology that the Lord gave us to save the world. And, and I just hope that we understand that God sent us to change the world, not let the world change us. That means you need to vote. You need to look at platforms. You need to get beyond personalities and say, what does this person stand for? Even if you like the guy standing there who smiles the best and talks nice and pretends to be your friend, what does he stand for? Look at the platform. When you push the button, what are you voting for? Are you voting for abortion? Are you voting for the sanctity of marriage or the destruction of marriage? Are you voting for parental responsibility or the destruction of parental responsibility? Are you voting for the country to be protected and build it and guard it? Or are you voting for the country to be just allowed to go willy-nilly and, and the chaos that we see going on now? So as a Christian, realize who the enemy is. The enemy is not people. It's the doctrines, the principles, the policies of men that not only destroy uh, the country, but they would destroy us as Christians if we go along with them. Amen. Well, thank you, brother. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time today and how much I appreciate what you're doing for the country, for the community, uh, and for the kingdom most of all. So thank you, brother. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And hello to all the folks in your Bible class. I so enjoyed that conversation. I so appreciate Representative DeBerry for making the time to be part of this conversation, part of this Bible study. Throughout this series, we've been talking about the fact that we are exiles, not only in the world, but we're exiles in this country. And I love that Brother DeBerry talked about being deployed here. We're on military deployment in our community and in our country. We're in a battle. But I'm afraid that we often forgot who and how we're supposed to be fighting. If we are in the midst of warfare, if we're in the midst of a battle, then we have to remember who we're fighting and how we're supposed to be fighting. So let's talk, let's spend a few minutes tonight talking about who we're supposed to be fighting. Brother DeBerry said, the enemy is not people. Let me say that again, the enemy is not people. 
Do we understand that? Yes, we're engaged in a, a conflict. We're engaged in warfare. We're deployed here as followers of Jesus. We're in the midst of a spiritual battle, but our enemy is not people. So that means, listen carefully, that means that liberals, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, atheists, Muslims, evangelicals, socialists, capitalists, they are not our enemy. Let me say it again. They are not our enemy. And it can be really easy in the midst of division. It can be really easy when we're debating what's in the best interest of people, what's in the best interest of our community. It can be very easy to forget the fact that we are not fighting against people. Let's look at our text tonight. It's Ephesians chapter six, and we're going to start in verse 10. And this is a passage we're probably all familiar with, but Paul lays out very clearly who we're fighting and how we're supposed to be fighting. Look at Ephesians six and verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Did you, did you catch all that? Our battle is against the devil. Our battle is against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against our neighbors. Our battle is for our neighbors. Let me say that again. Our battle is not against our neighbors. It is for our neighbors. Even if we disagree with them, even if they're dreadfully wrong, even if they're in the midst of sin, even if they're confused, even if they're whatever, our battle is not against them. It is for them because we understand that the real enemy is the devil. The real enemy is the spiritual forces of evil in the unseen realm. These people that so often it's so easy to fall into arguing with, being mad at, these people are not our enemy. Even if they're in sin, we should understand that sin harms not only the victim, but also the perpetrator. Let me say that again. Sin harms not only the victim, but also the perpetrator. Tonight, Brother DeBerry brought up about abortion. Abortion harms, obviously, not only the unborn child, but also the mother, also the doctor. Everyone that's touched by it is affected by it, and many are enslaved by it oppression. When anybody in the world is oppressed, it harms not only the oppressed, but also the oppressor. Do we understand that? Do we understand that our battle is not against the oppressor? Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the unseen realms. Jesus wants not only for the oppressed to be set free, but he wants the oppressor to be set free because sin harms not only the victim, but also the perpetrator. When Jesus 
went into a community or when Jesus was working with his people and ministering to his people, he not only met with the people that were the religious people, but also the people that had partnered with Rome. I think about the tax collectors. And so often we think about the tax collectors being a marginalized group of people, and they certainly were a marginalized group of people, but they were also the oppressors, but they were enslaved to sin. And Jesus not only wanted to set the oppressed free, but he wanted to set the oppressors free. And he understood that his battle wasn't against Caesar. His battle wasn't against the tax collectors. His battle, his enemies weren't the Pharisees. His enemy was Satan. His enemy was the forces of evil in the unseen realm. And Paul says, that's who our battle is against as well. That that we have to understand that the people who disagree with us, the people that dislike us, the people that argue against us, even if it's not just a matter of opinion and it's a matter of sin, they're still not the enemy. That we're fighting not against them, but we're fighting for them. Because we have to recognize not only that we want them to be be set free, even the guilty to be set free. We want the innocent to be set free. We want the guilty to be set free, but we ourselves are the guilty ones who've been set free. And that's our goal for the world, is for the world to become a better place, yes, by, by better policies being put in place, but also by us doing good in the world and loving not only the oppressed, but also the oppressors, not only the people that are being harmed by sin, but the people that are doing sin because we understand that sin harms not only the victims, but also the perpetrators because we ourselves have been the perpetrators. And so we have to recognize as we try to do good in the world, as we seek the welfare of our community, of our city, of our country, of the world, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, that these people, conservatives or liberals or Republicans or Democrats or atheists or Muslims or evangelicals or socialists or capitalists, these people, regardless of their ideology, regardless of their politics, regardless of their sin, they are not the enemy. They very well might be in bondage to the same enemy from from whom we ourselves have been set free. And our goal is not to fight against them. Our goal is to fight for them. So the first thing is recognizing who we're fighting against, but we also need to talk about how we're fighting. Satan loves for Christians to fight for our causes in worldly ways. Satan loves for us to fight for our causes in worldly ways because even if we win, we've already lost. Think about that for a second. Satan loves for us to fight for our causes in worldly ways because even if we win, we've already lost. If we fight for Christian causes by getting angry and calling names, by gossiping and slandering, if we fight for our causes with this mentality that the end justifies the means, then we've already lost. It it doesn't matter what policies are implemented or what policies are taken away. If we fight for good things with bad methodology, we've already lost. 
If we have to slander and lie and deceive and be cruel and to be mean in order to accomplish the ends that we want to accomplish, then we've already lost. I love what Brother DeBerry said. He said, we're supposed to change the world, not allow the world to change us. Look again at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I'm sure you've read that passage. Many of you have read that passage many times or you've heard a sermon or you've heard a Bible class or maybe you haven't. But this idea of this spiritual armor that we're supposed to put on, we, we have to recognize that if we're going to be in this spiritual warfare that Jesus calls his people to be in, if we're going to think of ourselves as being not only exiles in this country, but deployed here to accomplish good, then we have to remember again who we're fighting against, not against people, but for people and against the forces of evil and how we're supposed to fight. This is how we're supposed to fight. But so often when I've taught this or other people have taught it, we, we, get, we get really caught up in the different pieces of armor, the, the helmet and the shield and the sword and the, and the shoes and the belt. And we, we get really caught up in the metaphor and we forget the important parts. This is what we fight with. This is what we fight with. Truth, righteousness, which is fairness and justice and equity, gospel readiness, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. This is what we fight with. This is how we're both protected from the evil one, and this is how we engage in warfare against him. This is both defensive and offensive weaponry. This is how we engage in doing good in the world. This is what we fight with, fight with. We fight with truth and righteousness, gospel readiness, faith, salvation, the word of God and prayer. This is how we participate with God in reclaiming the world from darkness. That's our goal, isn't it? To participate with God in reclaiming the world from darkness. But notice that these things are not part of the spiritual armor. Sarcasm. Did you notice that? It wasn't part of the spiritual armor. Deceit, slander, anger, hate, fear. This isn't how we fight this battle. This isn't how we fight and, and reclaim the world from darkness. But it is what we tend to do, isn't it? 
It is how we tend to talk. It is how we tend to treat each other with deceit and slander and anger and hate, telling ourselves all the while that the end justifies the means. We see a policy, we see a law, we see an action that we feel like needs to change. And we feel like reform needs to happen. We feel like changes need to be made. And so we push for those things, fighting for them in the wrong sorts of ways, fighting for them with sarcastic and rude memes on, on Facebook or Twitter. We, we, fight with, we fight for them with deceit and slander and anger and hate and fear. But, but that's not how we engage in this warfare. As followers of Jesus, as exiles here, as those who have been deployed in this country to, to reclaim the world for light and reclaim it from darkness, we are to engage in this warfare with truth and righteousness, readiness and faith, salvation, with the word of God and with prayer. You know, often when we talk about politics, not only in who we vote for, but in how we vote or whether or not we even vote, in how we talk about things and in what things we get passionate about and in what policies we choose, so many times we have this tendency to think in terms of choosing the lesser evil. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of that. I'm tired of engaging in evil talk and evil thought and evil deeds in order to accomplish what might turn out to be good. Instead, I think as followers of Jesus, instead of choosing the lesser evil, we should only choose the greatest good. What, what if that was our policy? What if as followers of Jesus, that was our mentality? Instead of choosing the lesser evil, only choose the greatest good. If you speak, speak good things. And if you can't find anything good to speak, don't speak at all, right? If you share something on social media, share good things. It doesn't mean it always has to be positive and smiley but things that are true and things that are noble, things that are right and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. If you're going to share something, only share good things. And if you can't find anything good to share, don't share anything at all. If you're going to vote, if you're going to vote, only vote for good things. And if you can't find good things to vote for, I don't know, maybe don't vote at all. What if we decided, I am going to embrace the way of Jesus, and the way of Jesus says, do good. That the way we overcome evil, Romans chapter 12, the way we overcome evil is not by choosing lesser evils. The way we overcome evil, the only way evil can be overcome is by doing good. No matter what it costs us, no matter what we have to sacrifice, that's the way of the cross. The way of the cross is choosing to do good, even if that means we have to give things up, even if that means we have to sacrifice, even if that means we have to be thought of as weak, we will choose to do good. So instead of choosing lesser evils, let's choose the greatest good. Let's choose the way of the cross. Let's choose to do things Jesus' way because we really can only overcome evil by doing good. But I think we also have to acknowledge the fact that ultimately, ultimately, the evil in the world will only 
be overcome by Jesus' second coming, that there will always be evil in the world until Jesus comes to destroy sin and death. So until that day, we should do good and not fret about the evil that remains. What if that was our mentality? Let's just do good. Do as much good as you possibly can. Anytime you have the opportunity to do good, do good to all people, especially the household of faith, Paul says. Do good, do as much good as you possibly can. Speak whatever good you can speak. Share whatever good you can share. Vote for whatever good there, there is to vote for. But, but then you're still gonna look around at the world and say, yes, but there's still so much evil and there's still so much brokenness and there's still so much sin. And that sin and that brokenness and that evil, so much of it will remain until Jesus comes. But that's where our hope lies. Our hope doesn't lie in an election. Our hope doesn't lie in who's in the White House or who's on the Supreme Court or who's in the Congress. Our hope doesn't lie in what laws are passed or what laws are struck down. Our hope lies in the coming of King Jesus. And when King Jesus comes, he will destroy all sin and all evil. He will throw sin and death into the lake of fire. That is where our hope lies. And until he comes, we will commit ourselves to doing good, to doing what's in the best interests of our neighbor, to loving our neighbor as ourself. And if that means voting, then vote. If that means speaking up, then speak up. If that means sharing something, then share something. But let's not do so in a way that we're trying to choose lesser evils. Let's choose the greatest good. That's how we live as exiles in the world. That's how we swim against the current.